Hey y'all, I'm Taylor DeHayes, a seven-figure business consultant and strategist for online fitness coaches wanting to build life-changing companies. Real talk, I wasn't an overnight success and that would make for a pretty boring story. I was fired from my TV reporting career of a decade with just $825 to my name. In just two years, I built a seven-figure coaching business. Now I'm sharing my proven strategies with you. Oh, and we'll keep it real, discussing mindset, money, and hardship to help you build the life of your dreams. So grab a cup of coffee and get cozy. Welcome to the Taylor DeHayes podcast. I'm so glad you're here. So let's dive into the team building aspect, right? And I want to break this down into those of you that are solopreneurs, right? And those of you that maybe have somebody in your DMs or have somebody doing your calls for you, whatever that looks like, maybe it's all, that's three of you, it doesn't matter, but we're going to break that down. So if somebody is a solopreneur, right? And you're giving them training, aside from what we've just talked about, how would you advise them to operate by themselves as a sales team? So the number one thing that they need to do is have like, they, they need to be organized in what they're doing. They need to make sure they're tracking who they're speaking with, understanding who the warm, hot, cold leads are, right? Who's new, who's old, who you need to get rid of, whatever it is. And I, I almost feel guilty because I don't want to give away too much of what you teach, but you're spot on in what you do. So we need to make sure we're tracking it appropriately. We need to make sure that we're a real human being, not jumping right into the sale in the DM. You're setting them up. Again, you're getting to know this person. You're figuring out whether or not you can, whether or not you think you can help them in the DMs. And then from there, you're getting to know them a little bit more. We're getting rid of some objections. We're kind of wading through it. And then we're going to invite them into the sales situation when the time is right when they give the the signals, it's dating. You're not proposing on the first date, right? So from there, well, go ahead. What were you going to say? I was going to say, you know, one thing that I, I see that's a problem with a lot of solopreneurs is we don't understand how many hats we have to wear. And I want you to just, as you're listening to this right now, because I think there's going to be more of you that are solopreneurs versus having a massive sales team that are listening to this. And you have to treat yourself and grade yourself like an employee, right? If you t- like, if you don't wear all the hats right now, because right now you are the marketer and you are the ops and you are all of these things, you are the salesperson. And so why are you not treating yourself like a sales team? What I mean by that is you're not like, you're not recording your, your sales calls. You don't know where you're dropping the ball and you have a biased perspective, right? So everything's going to be like, well, I feel like it was good. I feel like I'm I'm talking to enough people. No, where the hell is the data? Like you, you're fired. Here, here's what happens: you get a bunch of sales because you're following a framework, and I don't I don't even want to call it a scripting because I don't want you to feel like you have to say these lines. Yep. We're method actors, right? We're just going to go into this going off a field because of who the character is, right? So we want to make sure we're following a framework to the call, and as you're going through the framework, naturally your brain over time is going to get bored of this situation and you're going to check out as you're asking questions and you're going to eliminate question by question from your discovery process because your brain's a supercomputer and you want to make it as most efficient as possible because you're bored because this is your 30th sales call in the last three months and you're like, all right. So that's when you get into dangerous territory as a solopreneur because you start assuming answers from your potential client. And that is dangerous territory because you're not listening to understand. You're just passing the time until you can pitch your thing, right? And then hopefully collect their credit card. And that's where you'll go into these major slums. 
And it becomes very dangerous because then you're worried about like, oh, wow, I haven't made a sale this week. Um, oh, for my last seven, I don't know what's going on. And then you try to change everything when in reality is you probably just got a little bit lazy on the front end. So if you're recording your sales calls, if you have a framework that you can go by, you can go back and watch them, watch the ones that were great that you closed and watch the ones that you didn't. And then, oh, wow, I'm leaving out this one question or I've changed the verbiage. I'm making this seem a lot harder than what it actually is. So Just this is where I'm going to say like Mike is in the mastermind and coaches my clients with sales calls and we do sales audits, right? And I can think of several clients at the top of my head. And I know you can too, that have been like, I had more sales calls than ever. And my sales, like my close rate sucked. It's like, hold on. Like you didn't just like forget everything. I'm with you. I think that when we get a lot of repetition and a lot more reps in like that volume increases, sometimes we can't withstand it. Right. And so some of you may think, oh, damn, that's me. So if you had, if you go from having five sales calls a month to 15 overnight, your close rate is probably going to plummet as well, unless you just really are good at handling that volume. And it's not that you just suck at sales that month. It's the fact that you got tired and you didn't know how to handle the volume. Absolutely. One more piece to that popularity got you to where you're at right now, right? Maybe you didn't need to be a sales expert. Maybe you were just popular. People liked what you're about and they came in and they laid down in their closes. What got you here won't get you there because as your audience is a little bit cooler, it's not your hot leads, maybe they're warm, you're going to have to do a better job selling, which means you're going to have to do a better job with asking your questions and listening in order to get them to that buying place, that buying pocket that they need to be in to move forward with you. Thousand percent. Can I, okay. I, this is kind of an off topic question. So you can be like, absolutely not my thing, Taylor, but I want to ask you a question on just like content, because you often will tell me like, I like that post of yours or, you know, think about this. And I'm just, I'm questioning because this, the sales process, right. We're talking about you know, getting them in, then we're talking about rapport, then we're talking about what's on your stories, because here's how it works. Like, it's not just the call, okay? It's everything before that. The call is the last part. It's saying the right thing to get them in, and then they're going to stalk you. Then they got to look at your bio. If your bio sucks, they're gone. If your story's boring, they're gone, right? So I'm just curious, like, I coach, you know, to not always hard sell on your stories, right? If you're always pitching your application, and it's okay to pitch on your stories, but I like to pitch homework or ask a question because I know for my audience, when people apply, it's not random people. It's applications that I'm sending in the DMs. I don't expect people to come to me. And so I'm curious to know what your thoughts are with that delicate balance of, you know, educating, inspiring, hard pitching versus like soft, like breadcrumbs. I feel like there's a time and a place to hard pitch on stories. I prefer to do it the more organic way where you're going to give them homework like you do. Watch this podcast or listen to this podcast, implement this. So that way they can see tangible results either in their physique, in their feelings, in their business. So they come to you, they're just elevating your status as the expert. You're not sitting there saying, gimme, 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 you know? you are in a spot where you're like, hey, this is why I'm not afraid to give this away. And as somebody who sells for you, it makes my job really easy to the point where I feel like I'm cheating sometimes because you've already demonstrated that value to these people so much that all I have to do is like, come on in. I open the door, we go right to the cash register and we leave, right? So 
it, there's so much value to that. Like you're very clear about give it all away, give away your best stuff. And it wasn't until recently that somebody asked me, well, if Taylor's giving away all of her best stuff on the podcast and on social media, why do I need FCA? Why do I need her? And I'm like, oh, that might be her best stuff. Then there's new stuff all the time. Like there's, there's a, a beauty to having you as their coach, because you're going to give that tough love. You're going to push them beyond those boundaries. And the beauty of what you do in FCA is that you lay it out like breadcrumbs. It's, it's paint by numbers, dude. It, it's, you know, you just fill it in one, two, three, four, and it's simple. You'll see the results. Like the proof is there, but anyway. I get that question a lot though. This is kind of off like topic, but seriously, I get that question from my clients even too, not about mm -hmm. why they should invest in me. I've never heard that. So that's a good one. Yeah. Um, like why should I invest in Taylor if she gives away her best shit for free? That's a great one. But my clients say, why should I give away my best things for free? And so let me clarify, right? If you are listening to this podcast and you get valuable information and then you get a result from it, how do you do it again? How are you going to track that? How are you going to keep progressing? How are you going to dissect that further, right? All of that is missing. Also, if you think you can scale a business with a podcast, you are sadly mistaken, right? Uh, there has to be some back and forth conversation there. But the reason I say give your best shit away for free, okay? And you can, you know, take that as you may, right? I do not let anyone book a sales call with me or you if I have not given them one win. And the reason I do this is because I want to see if they are coachable, right? Because yeah. I get people in the DMs that have a lot of ego. They think they know it all. And you know what? That's fine. I'm not, I don't really want to convince them otherwise, to be honest. There are people that I, I'm just like, they're not going to be great in the program or in the mastermind. Don't want to deal with it. But if I can send somebody a podcast and I have to follow up with them seven times, hey, did you listen? Hey, I don't want you. If you can't even listen to a podcast, I have very little faith you can get your in your DMs. Very mm -hmm. little faith. Now, if I listen to a pot or send somebody a podcast, because I always say, listen, report back. I always say that. And if you're listening to this right now, I've probably said it to you. Listen and report back. And the people that send me a screenshot of notes, I'm like, all right, <laughs> you're a candidate. Let's keep talking. Let's go. I like testing them to see if they're coachable. It's perfect. You give them the wins. You make sure that they're a good fit for you. I mean, that's also a part of that, that sales call, that discovery process. If you have somebody that, that you don't vibe with, why are you going to go through the headache of having to fire them as a client? Just, oh. hey, you know what? This isn't for you. And we break up now and everybody's happy and better for it. So I'm going to give you a few specific questions because if I just say, hey, teach me how to build a sales team, uh, we're never going to get off of this podcast. <laughs> so <laughs> I want to ask a question about uh, where, so, okay, let's say a someone listening is getting ready to build a sales team. <laughs> they don't know which way to go first. Do you bring in a setter or do you bring in a closer? Now I'm assuming this person understands that they need to have some level of volume, mm -hmm. but what do you typically think somebody should, or think somebody should hire first? In my opinion, I think the setter needs to come first. This gives them the time to appropriately train the setter. If you're going to hire a setter and you think they're going to immediately know how to be you, be your voice, represent your brand, you are, you're sadly mistaken. It doesn't matter how much experience they have in the industry you have to put in the time to train them. Ultimately, it comes down to a choice. You're either going to put in the time to train them properly, get hands-on, give them conversations that work best, or you're going to spend that time in the DMs yourself, doing it yourself, setting your own calls. 
Either way, you're spending the time, spend that little bit of time on the front end so you can reap the benefit on the back end. And the reason why I say the setter needs to come first is because as the closer that you are, you get to see the, the setter, you know, the, the sets that Cindy gave you, these people, wow, this was perfect. It was a great situation. I wasn't hands-on. That's exactly what I need. So now when you bring on the closer, you know how to coach the closer because you know what Cindy is bringing to the table. There are two funny situations that I would like to bring up right now because there has to be humor in this podcast or it's not my podcast. So two examples of two setters that have said hilarious things in in the DMs, right? Um, The first example, and this is what I say about like getting them to know you, right? Like, you know, one example is one of your friends. This is still cracks me up to this day. So I'm going to tag her in this. I can't wait. (laughs) (laughs) So um, as you guys, well, keep this in mind when you bring a setter in, they probably don't know fitness or any of those things, right? And they're they're trying to listen to as much as they can, but there is slang that you use or lingo that is so normal to you and your uh, industry that's not normal to people, right? So I remember a lead said that they were X weeks out and it was very obvious that it was about a bodybuilding competition. And- my setter started talking about pregnancy and I was like, oh no. <laughs> and I just was like, hi, listen, here are the rules. If somebody says this many weeks out, they are not pregnant. It is literally about a bodybuilding show. And so it was just like a funny <laughs> conversation. Congratulations. Yes. Not a, yeah. Like, you know? Um, so anyway, that was hilarious. Cause I think the comment, I, I think it was something along the lines of just something awkward, or it was like, wow, you don't look like it or something like that, where they didn't mention pregnant, but I caught it and was able to delete it in time and be like, cool, it's almost peak week. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That was the first one. And then another setter that I've had, uh, I guess somebody shared a music interest as me. And so my setter said, wow, you're an emo baby as well. And I'm like, no emo kid, emo kid, like emo baby is not a thing. And so anyway, moral of the story is sometimes it's very funny, but you will learn like when you bring somebody in, that is the last thing you need to worry about. And maybe you have a different thought process than me on this, but you know, if you are somebody that has absolutely no process at all, and you are really inconsistent, and you have no proof of anything working, any kind of person on a sales team, whether it's a closer or setter, they are not going to make your life easier. And I think people assume that hiring a setter is going to give them sales strategy when really the setter or closer, I mean, I'll use you as an example, right? Like, I had to teach you how to sell my product, not how to sell, but Mm -hmm. my product. And if I could not sell my product, how could I teach you to sell it? I want to jump in there real quick. For those of you out there who get on a sales call with a a sales team member, who's not the, the solopreneur, you ask them if they've gone through the training themselves, because I can guarantee you that 95% of them out there have not seen what they're selling. I've been through FCA at least three or four times. I live by it. I hear Taylor's voice. I, I I watch every piece of content that she puts because there has to be congruency in what she's saying as what I'm saying. So if she starts saying something on her stories, I need to use that vocabulary because that advertisement on her stories is what brought this person in. So if I'm not using the same language and my language is battling against hers, we're not going to be a good fit. Your closers, your setters, and yourself need to all be speaking the same language. 
I will literally hop in my DMs now and 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 truly be confused if I said something or if my setter said something. I mean, yeah. I and it's it's so great. Now that didn't that was not an overnight thing, but I have like Mike said, I have people that are also very invested in my process. And you've you've shared this before that you've worked with some uh, or you've sold products that you weren't totally in love with, like they didn't really align with you. Um, and so selling something that you can back up is obviously going to make your life way easier, you know? Um, but yeah, like my setter has, she listens to every single new podcast because all that information is exactly what's going to help her sell and get somebody more acclimated with the process, right? Because if there is inconsistency between what you're saying and I'm saying, how does that make any sense? And I've had that experience before, right? The people yep. that don't do their homework and I will also say too, don't think that there's like the perfect salesperson out there, right? It's, it, it's the hardest, in my opinion, position to hire for, uh, because it, it really just takes a certain level of grit and a certain type of person and you'll know it when you get it, but don't be afraid to bring somebody in. But what I will say is do not do what I see most people do. My friend has a few extra hours and can get in my DMS for me. No, that's a quick way to end the friendship. Yeah. It's a quick way to end a friendship. Yeah. So the other question that I would ask you is when you are working on creating cohesion, okay? Mm -hmm. So the setter and the closer, what does the conversation and communication need to look like between those two people? There needs to be accountability on the front end. It needs to be direct, open, honest communication. If as a closer, the setter puts somebody on my calendar that is buying a house but has no job, recently divorced, single parent of 11, why are they on my calendar? Like realistically, it's now's not the right time, right? That conversation has to be had. Hey, they weren't anywhere close to it. And these are the things that showed that. Now, again, we're going to treat each other with respect in the way we want to be treated. Keeping in mind that as the closer, the conversation works both ways. So if the setter is like, hey, this is a lay down red hot lead that I probably could have closed in the DMs, but I'm just giving you a bone, go for it. And you botch that thing, the setter has to be, you have to be comfortable enough with your skill for the setter to ask you, hey, what happened? And you have a conversation around it and figure out how you can save this. That has to be open, like, like a marriage, like a friendship, like any business partnership, there needs to be able to be open and honest conversation without ego getting involved and accountability on the front end. Plain and simple. And again, for the coaches listening to this, if you do have a sales team, a big mistake I see is you are not involved. I mean, you and I talk every single day. There is ample communication. I am somebody that I would say probably, I don't know if I over communicate, but I like to make sure everyone knows what is going on at all times with every single lead. And with a sales team, uh, now I never would expect you to have sales calls on the weekend. So let me just put that out there before I say what I'm going to say. But if I get developments over a weekend, because I'm in my DMS, I'm sending them to you so that mm -hmm. you are up to date as well. Right. And I don't expect a response, but sales can happen Saturday or whenever. And so when you're working with a sales team, you want to make sure that somebody is just willing to kind of receive that too. Mm -hmm. Uh, for example, like my setter has hours that she works, right. But if she's about to close a sale, she's not going to be like, sorry, my day is done. She's going to stay in a few extra minutes and, and get that done and get that application out, get that call booked, get that sale. And so just making sure that you are very open um, to, I think, training your team, you know, just because you have somebody supporting you, you have to do that training. 
any team member that you bring on, you need to have SOPs ready. You need to have KPIs that you expect. There needs to be communication. You have to hold your team accountable, right? You can't just be the cool best friend all the time. There has to be leadership developed. Uh, we don't want you to be a dictator, right? But there has to be that balance, you know? And, and that's what I think a lot of solopreneurs miss is that leadership, having that tough conversation because there, you have to understand there's nothing wrong with it. Like Taylor, you've come to me and told me, Hey, I need you to make sure that this SOP, this KPI tracker is updated. Well, I'm a grown adult. I'm a grown ass man. Like I know I didn't do it on time. I didn't deliver it the day you wanted. So my response was, you got it. Won't happen again. Right. And what I love is that as a good leader, you allow there to be two-way communication. Hey, me submitting it on this day isn't working for my schedule. You receive that and say, okay, the reason why I want it this day is here. So what's our compromise? And then we figure it out and we move forward from there. And that's it. And then we never think about that conversation again. But the damaging thing to the relationship would be if you complained about it internally, your inner monologue was like, Mike just doesn't care. He sucks. He X, Y, and Z. And then you go and tell a friend. And then the next thing you know, we're having conflict and we can't figure out why. And I don't even know there's a problem because I thought I was doing it right and you were happy, right? So there has to be accountability on the front end. And that works in turn. Accountability is not a, a, a negative word. And coming from my corporate background, I really want to be clear about this. Accountability is, hey, great job. Way to go. You did X, Y, and Z. I'm so proud of you. Accountability is also, you didn't do X, Y, and Z. We need to step it up a little bit here. And it both should be met with, you got it. Because we can't get too high or too low in this business because it will kill you. Yep. Thousand percent. I mean, we could have a whole podcast on leadership. So, oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, I agree. Um, and don't be afraid of the tough conversations. I think that there are certain dynamics, you know, that you might create and based on a friendship that's been built, uh, mm -hmm. there's certain conversations you're, you might be avoiding, right. Which make things challenging because once you've let things go for so long, you can't really backpedal. And that's why I think it's so important to, um, just really understand how to be a better leader with your team. And you're not going to get it right. I mean, to me, being a leader is also apologizing, right? Like understanding when you mess up, mm -hmm. um, you know, I've tried things that don't work and we do like back up and try something different, right? Like that's not a bad thing. You just have to own up to it. So I want to ask you how to kind of like, I mean, we're kind of talking about it now, but what issues have you seen in other companies you've worked with where there may be problems in leadership, right? Between like the CEO and you or somebody else on the sales team and just like, wow, that was not a good look, you know, I'm just curious. Yeah, so I'll start with I'll start with the top, the business owner, the CEO. The the biggest issue that I'll find is overreacting to every situation. We're changing the structure every single week. Hey, we you know we if you look at certain months, maybe we had a bad first two weeks of the month. Things just weren't landing, but we don't go and change the marketing. We're not going to go and change the lead flow or how people get on calendars. I'm not going to change my sales process. We're going to hunker down, find the gaps fill the gaps and then close a bunch of stuff and go through your ebbs and flows. Correct. We're doing course correct. We're not going to do compensation, right? So that's number one. And then number two is just not being transparent, being afraid of the tough conversation, starting the infighting. So as the leader, you should be the loneliest person in your organization. That's the unfortunate reality of it. Um, you, if I'm terrible this month, that's a conversation for you and me. That's not a conversation for you and anybody else in the company. 
And you need to treat it like a corporation in regards to that, even if it's just three of you, even if it's just two, those conversations have to be had. That Those are probably the biggest challenges. And then I will say I've worked for some other companies that like you have done a really good job in creating a cohesive unit in the sales team. We're going to help each other out. There's been places where I've worked where I, I'm off and another closer will see a message come in from one of my candidates, do the paperwork, take the payment, close them for me, but it's my close and I got the money, right? They're not stealing that for themselves. They're not swooping in. And you hear a lot about, you hear a lot about that in toxic organizations. It's like the undercutting. You need to work in an environment, especially if there's more than one closer, more than one setter, where if something is working for one person, we create the culture that we're going to share it with everybody. Because as a unit, we're here for the bigger picture. Yes, I want to get mine. I need to feed my family. But also, we're here for the main objective, which is to build something together. And I think that giving different stake in it, different bonuses, different opportunities within the organization will create that because you're not just showing up to a nine to five punching in, punching out, getting paid on Thursday, right? And that brings up kind of, you know, you mentioned um, like bonuses and things you can add on, right? Like if you're first building a sales team, do not give the entire buffet day one. I I see that time and time again, where uh, a coach, like a client of mine will pitch uh, a commission structure, right? And, you know, we're not here to, to jip anyone. Okay. But if you're adding all of these layers and, and the bonus is really complicated and it makes no sense. Like, first of all, where do they have to grow from that? Right. So uh, that's also something that I noticed where coaches kind of drop the ball. And I think that's a really great place to utilize a mentor if you have one. Um, but I'm with you. I think the biggest issue I see with team building is just the lack of emotional intelligence mm-hmm. um, and the reactionary, Right. Same thing with like the chat of recession, right? Oh my God, it's a recession. And it's like, okay, first of all, let's look back at the last 24 months of data. You don't need to change your entire structure because 14 days have been a little less than what you expected. Correct. Yeah. So I want to tack on one piece to what you said um, earlier. As a business owner, you have to fulfill your promises as well. If you promise the trip to Cabo, you better deliver when the team hits that goal. Also though, and this is one thing that killed me in other in just other operations. If you know that the the your best month ever was a 50K month, don't say, hey guys, if we hit 150K this month, we're all going to Cabo. It's demoralizing for the team. It's not a smart move. You look like you're cheap. Nobody likes it. Deliver on your promises, follow through on your word and make it realistic. If the best, best month ever was 50, you know, Let's talk about 75K being what we're going to reward, right? And maybe so we go to Orlando. We're not going to Cabo, right? Go see the I mouse. Think Mike is telling me that I need to add a trip to Cabo or something. Um, that's some apparently, people. that's what I've learned in this podcast is that I'm not offering the trips like I should. Okay, got it. Nobody's sending the all-inclusive to Taylor. <laughs> yeah, that's like, yeah, yeah. It's a subtle hint right now. So, all right, note taken. We'll chat after this about where we're going. Um. All right. So I know you and I are going to go dive into some FAQ. So we were thinking about questions that we get frequently that uh, people ask about sales. So the first thing I want to ask you, and it's not in the order that's in here, but two call closes versus one call closes. Okay. So for the sake of our audience, you're going to want it to be a one call close. Unless this is your first time ever meeting that person, 
your goal should be to make that a one call close. We're not trying to drag this out. You already have that rapport built. If you've done your job on the front end or your setter has done their job on the front end, you already are armed with the information. So as we go into the sales call, we're going to refresh that information. Let's say somebody has a weight loss goal, right? They want to lose 30 pounds by blank date. You just because they put it on an application four days ago when they applied for this call with you doesn't necessarily mean that they're in that frame of mind right now on this call because it's different. And I would challenge you, get on a sales call, go pretend to buy something, waste some salesperson's time to see how you feel as they're asking you these questions, because everybody more or less follows the same framework, right? So go see how you feel and go like, think about the depth of the depth of your answers. Are you giving surface level stuff that you think they want to hear? Are you getting deep and vulnerable? And how are they pushing you to get to that deep and vulnerable place? So I'm kind of going off on a tangent in terms of the sales call, but to bring it back to your original question, if you do that on the front end in the DMs, get them in front of you, you should be looking for a one call close. The only time it, in speaking to this audience that we don't is if maybe there's a spouse objection and we want to invite the spouse onto it to help make the decision because they're the breadwinner, the person you're speaking to doesn't have the funds, the joint account, X, Y, and Z, right? Um, I'm curious to what your thoughts are on that. So I have had quite a few clients come to me, typically those that are making about six figures or so that have done two call closes. And they're like, Taylor, do I need to keep doing those? Right. And the first thing I ask is, well, do you like doing them? Right. And they usually say, no, I freaking hate it. Like it's a waste of, it's just so much time. They don't say it's a waste of my time. They just say it's a lot of time. I say, okay, cool. And then I say, well, there's going to be volume somewhere. Let's decide where it's going to be. Mm -hmm. Typically, my clients that are doing two call closes are not doing hardly any pre-qualifying in the DMs. Okay. Now, this is where I also tell you people have a lot of resistance to DMs. I get it. I understand, right? But the coaches that are doing two call closes are likely doing cold DMs. I don't do cold DMs. I'm not saying that they don't work. I coach cold DMs, but there's 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 two approaches and I'm I'm kind of backtracking to get to the point as well. If you decide to do a cold DM and for the sake of this audience here's what I mean. Hey so and so, my name is Taylor. I'm a business coach. Da, 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 da. If you know anyone, let me know, right? That's a cold DM. Okay, this is a random person. I don't do that. For cold DMs to work, you do need to message about 100 people a day because your response rate is going to be maybe 30% maybe i mean i don't see much more than that right it's, and that's just, generous right generous. right exactly that's my point and so that's where so then the volume is then spent because you can send that message out real fast you can send 100 of those, those messages out copy paste copy paste copy paste right so then your volume is spent on sales calls with two call closes because the pre-qualification that i'm doing that may take me six weeks to eight weeks you're doing on a call right so theoretically, you may think, well, that's faster. I'd rather get them on a call. But what I find is your entire calendar gets booked up and you have no time to work on your business. So I would rather spend time building rapport in the DMs, right? And close that time frame because the average cold to close is eight weeks. Not if you're spending as much time as I am in my DMs. So my point is we can do that in one week sometimes four, sometimes it is two months, but realistically, I know I'm a little bit faster and I'm only talking about an hour or two a day of your time, right? You will get faster. So I would rather get somebody on a call 
where I know I'm going to close them and handle all those objections ahead of time. So that's why I coach a one call close. The other time I see a two call close go poorly is when these coaches come to me. And again, I call them stray cats because they didn't go through FCA. So I don't know where they got their foundation from, but they, they have like a setter. Well, no, they typically have a closer and it's a closer who's acting as a setter as well. And they're not actually trained in sales. Even if they were, it wouldn't matter because this coach is not spending time in their DMs. They don't even know what the hell is going on. They can't tell me their KPIs. They can't tell me their SOPs. And so they're doing two call closes, which is a which is an advanced technique. It is like I, I don't do those. I don't want to do them. And they're failing at this process, feeling like they're not going to build a business when in reality, no one taught them how to just build relationships organically. So I'm not a fan of two call closes personally. I'm not, I'm not either. The only time that I see them to be really beneficial is in the biz op space where you've discovered this business opportunity six minutes ago and you need that extra time. But even so, you can get it done in a one call close scenario. There's extenuating circumstances. Your follow-up will be a lot more in depth because maybe they didn't know about your industry before yesterday. And now they're on a call with you and you're asking them to shell out 15K, right? So I get that. But if you get deep enough in discovery, if you build that rapport and build that discovery up in the DMs before you even get there and you have that connection, that trust built already, it should be a quick process. And I can promise you one thing. I almost guarantee that these people going to call closes are spending way too much time on the pitch. They are getting in the weeds, just killing them with detail that is just turning the, the buyer off. Because the, the analytical brain doesn't want to buy. We're getting you in an emotional state to buy. That's what we're doing. We're reminding you of the pain. We're taking you to the outcome, right? Do you want to continue to live in this pain? Or do you want to come over here to Heaven Island where you feel great and we change your life for the better, right? Like, where do you want to be? You choose. And we go from there, right? I agree. Um, the sales call should not be you pitching every feature in your offer. And I say this to my clients, but just a little piece of homework for you. If you're listening to this, like if you like test yourself, can you pitch your offer without saying any, anything that's actually in it, right. Without mentioning the calls and the access, like try to pitch your offer to yourself out loud without mentioning what's included, you know, and if you can't do that, you have work to do and you're probably not landing sales, right. Sales calls. So, um, okay. Next thing. So someone's giving you a lot of objections, a lot of pushback, everything's going wrong, whatever. How hard should you push? Is there a line of you know, how aggressive you should be. Um, the, you need to figure that out on your own, right? You have to ask yourself a number of questions. And I, and I want your answer industry specific to both coaching and to fitness coaching. So business coaching and fitness coaching after this. But you think about a race car driver, right? They don't know how well they can handle the car and how fast they can go until they crash that bad boy. So at some point you're going to crash it, Right. Crash the car a couple of times and be like, ooh, that was too far, right? Don't do this with your warm leads. Some people do need more time. We're not trying to go to pushy, uncomfortable salespeople who are forcing somebody to buy something they don't want. I'm talking about the situation where somebody should make this decision. They're just afraid. So we want to push those buttons and take them as far as we can go to the point where maybe you get hung up on once. And I know that sounds crazy because the majority of your audience right now is probably too scared to even push back on, let me think about it. And they're like, cool, how much time do you need, right? But you want to eventually get to a point where you find where that comfort zone ends. You want to review it. And it might not be that you get hung up on, 
but go back and review your calls. Look at body language, look at face, you know, like as you're going through it, watch the, the body language of your prospective client. If they're wincing and you see them get far from the camera, like they lean back in their chair, they don't like what you have going on, right? Look at the look at the cues. If they start touching their neck and fidgeting, they're trying to self-soothe and they want to get the frick out of there. Podcast. They want to get the heck out of there, Taylor. <laughs> good, good, good catch. Good. Um, so this one, I mean, I think I've kind of said this in a few different ways earlier, but I always think, and I'll start with business first. I think that they're pretty similar, but I'll give you a few cases where I think they're different. So fitness, I'm more empathetic. Business, I'm I'm way harsh, way harsher, more harsh. Um, because the thing with business is there's such a high failure rate. Okay. There is. I'm not gonna shy away from that, right? Like people ask me all the time, what's your success rate in FCA? And I openly say it is literally the course where people find out my business, like business is not for me. You know, so I would be lying if I said 100% of people succeed. I will tell you if you do the shit and you show up and you give it all you got, you have a really great chance, you know, but business is hard and it starts with that mental toughness, that resiliency, that grit. And so my form of screening somebody is to give them that tough love ahead of time. And if they crack under it, when it comes to just investing, I have concern that they're not really going to get very far if they hear no on a sales call or somebody bails on a contract or a team member quits or whatever it is. Right. Um, and so that doesn't mean I'm not matching them with empathy and giving them tough love because I am, I am such a cheerleader when it comes to investing. I am cheering them on. I am seeing potential when you can't see it. And I'm showing you why I believe in you. And it's not bullshit because I tell people all the time, Hey, this isn't for you. You're not ready for this. I don't know about that. Right. Um, but if somebody gives me some kind of an objection, you know, I will push them. I will talk about like, okay, let's talk about why you don't have the finances. What is your spending like? Because what happens when you make more money? Are you going to not have money then too? Right? Like there has to be this, this conversation where I'm talking about life with you and same thing with fitness. So let's say I'm talking with somebody who I'll use a recent example. I have a, a girl I'm talking to right now who has had lots of coaches and no one has really done lab work with her. She recently did her own labs and she is just so distraught, heavy weight loss resistance. And she was really inspired by my story, my podcast. Uh, she wants to have a call with me. She's nervous about the investment. I'm not going to push her. I've got to nurture her because she's had a really hard time. And we're talking about a very sensitive and challenging topic, right? So that to me is different. I'm going to nurture the heck out of her, but also like remind her, dude, I've got you. We're going to get this together. So those are different, I would say scenarios. Um, but it really goes back to just day one in the DMS with this person. Like I'm really building this friendship with them because most business coaches are just so unapproachable until you've paid a dollar amount. Whereas mm -hmm. I'm very available, which is why I don't do sales calls. Nope. My team's got that. We'll talk when you pay and we'll chat in the DMS, but no, mm -hmm. I'm not going to get on a sales call with you. Right. And I've had people ask me why I don't do that. And you can share your thoughts, but you know, um, that's my thoughts on that topic. I mean, you create the appropriate amount of authority while also giving value and being a real human being. And what I heard, you know, through everything that you said was, there's a real human being on the other end. And it's our job as a coach to push them while also loving them. And it can be both. And if you're afraid, like to just, if all you want to do is love, 
and you're afraid to push, let's start rethinking what you're doing or let's toughen up a little bit. You have to be okay with somebody being uncomfortable, maybe even being mad at you a little bit. And it's not to say you're an asshole about it, but it's to say that you are going to do the things that are going to get them the results they need, whether that be in the actual container itself or selling it. Yep. You know, I think the last question that stands out to me, and it's it's kind of combining a few things that we have on this, but talking with somebody that is more of a beginner, um, so I would say sub six figures, you know, we've already mentioned scripts, but people get so caught up in creating these sales scripts, saying the perfect thing. And I think it ends up creating this paralysis almost sometimes, but I want to know for somebody that's, that's newer, trying to get the hang of sales, how do you recommend building a formula or a script or something like that? Got you. Before I even talk about that, I think it's important just to mention being honest on those sales calls and calling out the BS that you're finding, calling out the excuses, calling out the, the scared behavior, whatever it is. And by calling out, I don't mean aggressive, just by, by addressing it, right? Just by being honest, it's going to have a more effective like impact than any clever word track that I can give you today. Well, like being a real human being is going to go far beyond what any clever words or clever, like, Ooh, I'm going to slide in with this remark and it's going to close them. You know, the reason why you can is the reason why you have to, right? Being honest will go a long way. So what I would say to the semi newbie person coming in is make sure that you have the appropriate amount of rapport built. They know that you're a real human being that cares about them. You know a thing or two about them and can relate. And we don't want to fake it. You can relate about anything. Oh man, I live in North Carolina. We experienced all three seasons in the last 24 hours. Three quarters of the United States can have that conversation with you, right? From there, you want to frame the call very simply. Hey, what we're going to do today is find out what's going on with you, what problems you're having, what you want your goals to be. And based upon that, see if what I have is a great fit for you. If it is, I'd love to tell you about it. Cool. Yep. Let's go. Then I'm going to get into asking questions, you know, find out all the things about them. And I could spend a, a straight hour talking about the discovery process, but this is where we want to get to know them. Again, like I said earlier, to number one, find out if we can actually help them. And then number two, to eliminate the objections before the close. From there, and this is really important, and this is a framework that like, I, I want you to go back and write down, like go back and listen to this and write it down. After the discovery part of it, you want to let them know that you think they'll be a good fit. You don't want to just go into pitching. Yeah, yeah, Taylor, great. Here's what I do. No. You're going to be, hey, Taylor, based upon X, Y, and Z that we talked about today, I think you're going to be a great fit for what we do. So if it's okay with you, I'd love to share with you what that is. Cool? Yes. Awesome. Our expertise is fill in the blank, right? And then you go into your pitch, which should, for the love of God, be short. Like, just be clear, talk about, you know, where you're going. And then from there, don't be afraid to ask for the close. I think that a lot of sales are lost because your people are too afraid to ask for the money at the end. I agree. Right. Uh, and we get so hung up. This could be a whole other conversation too. We get so hung up on what the price needs to be. Right. And I don't ever tell somebody to price things, what they're worth. Cause I think that your worth is not a dollar amount, but 
you have to stand behind what you're offering and understand that if it's like $100 or something, that's too low, right? Like you have to see this value that you're creating and have confidence in your ability to create that. Even if you are brand new, right? I'm not telling you to charge a thousand dollars a month, but you know, just make sure that it's enough to get somebody's skin in the game, right? And that you do feel like you are providing an adequate amount for said price, right? Um, but yeah. And, and, and here's a word track for you for the ones that love the word tracks. If you do feel, if your your client does feel it's too expensive, have the conversation around, well, how much were you expecting? And if they were expecting the $100, ask them if they think that what you're doing would be legit if you were promising all of these things and you're only charging $100. Like, would you really want that? Would you trust me if my if I had these bargain basement prices for these like Lamborghini, you know, whatever promises? The reality is the price needs to match my area of expertise. And this is what it is. Price is a price. And for those of you who sell for other people, that is such an authority built. The price is a price. I don't control it. I'm not going to negotiate with you. Price is a price. Take that up with Taylor after you get in there, right? Yeah, with Taylor. Uh, I mean, I, those are the FAQs I have. Is there anything that you get that you we didn't cover? Um, no, I feel pretty good about it. I, I like getting your take on it industry specific because you are crossing over between two industries. Like you said, one where you need to be empathetic a little bit more and one where you need to be a little more sharp. And, you know, like if we're going to survive in this business world, I need to know that my business coach is a badass. Yeah, so. 1,000%. Yeah, well- Clearly we've covered a lot of ground. So you should all be sales experts after this. And the one thing that I want to just reiterate is go act on this. Do not be the person that's like, okay, I learned a little bit. Let me go invest in a sales coaching course. Like, no, just practice one thing. Don't take this and change your entire process. Find one thing that you can implement on your next sales call. And maybe that's you getting in your DMs right now and getting some information or tweaking one question on your application. Mike, anything that you would say to practice this week? Um, I definitely think the, the process of asking for the money at the very end of the call, even when you are receiving the objection, you have to circle back around to asking for the close. If you just answer the question and then sit in silence and wait for them to pepper you with some more, you'll give them enough time to come up with another excuse. You have to, this is a, pro this is a solution to it. This is what we provide. Once again, do you feel like what we're providing is the best thing for you? Yes. All right. All right. Let's do it. You're the leader in the conversation. Yep. Yep. I agree. So now you're all sales experts. Amazing. Uh, if you have any questions, you can always slide in the DMs. Don't worry. I'm not going to pitch you anything. Uh, you, you know what to do if that's what you're looking for. But um, thank you, Mike. I appreciate you coming on today. <laughs> it's great having you. Thanks, Taylor. I want to give you a virtual high five for finishing another episode of the Taylor Hayes podcast. Love the episode. Share it and tag me on Instagram. Have a question? My DMs are always open. Until next time, bye y'all.